Hi, this is another podcast by Dr. Bob. I am Ask Dr. Bob. My real name is Dr. Robert Lahida, and I'm the chairman of medicine at St. Joe's Medical Center in Patterson, New Jersey. Tonight, we're going to talk about a number of things that are very current. I'm asked a lot of questions. The first question I'm asked is all about vaping and the kind of lung problems that vaping causes. The question is, does vaping cause COPD? Now, I have to begin by telling you that way back when I was on Fox News talking about electronic cigarettes, it was the new and up and coming thing. This was about five years ago. And when I was discussing the electronic cigarette, we were concerned that it would be marketed to children in multi-flavors. And it was not FDA regulated because it was basically a delivery system for nicotine, minus the tars and other impurities that one finds in cigarettes. So we were kind of excited about the fact that we could get people off of regular cigarettes, but to have the idea of having this marketed to children as a nicotine delivery system was not something that was attractive. And the FDA was considering it. And as you know, the whole story is it was approved and then it was not approved. And then it was approved again. And I'm sure there was a lot of pressure brought to bear by industry. So basically, our concerns in those days was that the, that the device would blow up in people's mouths on occasion or burn their lips because of the propellant that was in the device, which happened to be forwarded by propylene glycol, which was an agent that was put in there to allow the vape to occur. And then the nicotine would be delivered. And in the beginning of vaping, there was very little problem with regard to uh, the efficacy and the safety of, of the vaping device. The question is, can vaping cause lung problems? Does it specifically cause chronic obstructive pulmonary disease? It's an alternative to traditional cigarettes. And people who smoke, as we all know, get chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is basically a chronic death sentence. It's a horrible thing to have, and it requires a lot of medication through one's life, physical therapy, and a variety of other things. Nicotine is a very addictive drug, and it doesn't involve tobacco smoke inhalation. But there are cancer-causing substances or carcinogens in some of these products, toxic chemicals, and toxic metal nanoparticles, which are very, very small particles. This is a real problem. Uh, there are warnings on vaping that contain nicotine from 2018 onward. The CDC suggested that vaping was less harmful than smoking conventional cigarettes, but they also advised against e-cigarette use by young people, those people who are pregnant or adults who, who do not currently use tobacco. <clears throat> Five years ago, our concern was that when kids vape these flavor-filled things, they would become addicted to nicotine, and that was a concern. The New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very, very prominent medical uh, publisher, published organ, uh, had a paper in it, a number of letters to the editor, and this was October 20th, 2019, and basically um, lung injury 
was pronounced and lung biopsies from 17 patients, 13 men, median age, 35 years of age, and they had a history of vaping of all things cannabis, oil, or marijuana. Definitively not the thing to do because oils and the lung do not mix. And anything that is vaporized in oil fashion to those little parts of the lung that absorb oxygen, called the alveoli, is extraordinarily dangerous. And so vaping has resulted in DNA damage. It's resulted in what look like chemical burns to pathologists of the lungs that are looked at and explored. It's a catastrophe of sorts. And never did I imagine five years ago that I would be talking about chemical burns to lungs as a result of people who vape. So that is a major issue. The next story that's appropriate for tonight is the story of myasthenia gravis. Myasthenia gravis means weakness of the muscles, and it is an autoimmune disease. It's a specific disease associated with tremendous weakness because antibodies, little proteins that form in the body's immune system as a response to some immune injury, those antibodies are directed against the acetylcholine receptor. What is the acetylcholine receptor? That is the receptor between the nerve and the muscle. And so an antibody against the acetylcholine receptor results in this disease, myasthenia gravis. It's a complicated illness, usually requires immunosuppression. One can live through that. Immunosuppression means taking cortisone or other medications that tamps down the immune system and allows the immune system to function normally. Now, why do I bring up myasthenia gravis? Because there was a report in the New York Times Uh, I had seen this on Friday, October 18th, which detailed the fact that the president of the Philippines, Duterte, had been suffering from myasthenia gravis and fell off of his motorcycle, sustaining injuries, not necessarily because of the myasthenia, but the fact that everyone in the Philippines that was around the president knew that he had this newly described chronic disease. And He, in fact, had been absent for a number of weeks from his duties as president of this great country, the Philippines. It's interesting because Ferdinand Marcos, his predecessor down the road, had also suffered from an autoimmune disease called systemic lupus erythematosus, a disease with which I am very familiar. And Marcos suffered from this disease and died of kidney disease long before we had terrific drugs to treat the kidney ailments in this particular illness. And that was Ferdinand Marcos. And now here we have, several generations later, President Duterte of the Philippines with another autoimmune disease, myasthenia gravis. And myasthenia gravis, uh, my listeners had asked me, what is it and who suffers from it? And it will go into the annals of the pathology of leadership, of which there are many illnesses that our leaders around the world have had over the years which have influenced their ability to to rule their particular countries. And then the last point I want to make 
for tonight's podcast is the breast defense. And that is, by the numbers, an important health issue, and that's breast cancer. 3.1 million women in the United States have a history of breast cancer, and this includes women currently being treated and women who have finished treatment. For every 1,000 women who have a screening mammogram, 100 are recalled to get more mammography or ultrasound images because of a suspicious lesion in their breasts. 20 are recommended for a needle biopsy. This is 20 per 1,000. And five women out of that 1,000 are diagnosed with breast cancer. A a woman living in the United States has a 12.4% or a 1 in 8 chance of having a risk of breast cancer sometime in her life. That's very important. And it means that since 1990, mammography has helped reduce breast cancer mortality, that's the death rate in the United States, by nearly 40%, almost half the women who have gotten mammograms. So screening is the key to prevention. To make an appointment for a mammogram, call your local, your primary care doctor, who will get you to a mammography center uh, or a radiology group where there is expertise in reading your mammogram. And that's the end of tonight's Ask Dr. Bob session. I hope I have been of some help in explaining some of the more devastating medical conditions. And people ask me questions all the time. And I hope to be with you during our next podcast. This is Ask Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob Lahita saying good night and have a good day.